stay curious. Uh, revive your curiosity if you've lost it. Because, you know, part of the danger of being successful as a lawyer is thinking you have answers and being called on to be the expert. But retirement is something that's going to be new. It's a new status, it's a new way of living, of spending your time. And so instead of shutting down or, or feeling that it's a loss and looking backward at what you're giving up, be curious about what the possibilities are because the world is filled with all sorts of interests, all sorts of things that you can explore and move into and try out. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a blog named May It Please the Court and have two books out titled How to Get Sued and The Sled. In our ongoing series, In the Life of a Lawyer, Start to Finish, we're exploring the experience of becoming and being an attorney from applying to law schools through retirement and everything in between, maybe beyond. In our last episode in this series, we discussed money management with L.J. Jones. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about retirement. We're going to take a look at when to start thinking about retiring as a lawyer, steps attorneys can take to prepare for retirement, and ultimately life post-retirement. And to do that, our guest today is Ida Abbott. She is the founder of Ida Abbott Consulting, and she's been in the legal profession as a lawyer, consultant, and thought leader for more than four decades. She was one of the first people to specialize in lawyers' professional development and retention and in advancing women into leadership. She remains a leading expert on mentoring and sponsorship as a means to guide, support, and transform professional careers. Ida supports her clients by helping them create retirements that are right for them, their families, and their firms. Ida is also the author of Retirement by Design. Welcome to the show, Ida. Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on in this continuing series that we've been doing on the life of a lawyer from start to finish. It's been a very exciting set of interviews, but let's talk about you first. Let's give us some background about yourself. Talk to us about your path and how it led you to consulting with clients, especially attorneys, about retirement. Well, I was a trial lawyer for about 20 years, and then I left to do consulting work because I saw a great need for firms to be organizing and more systematic in the way they brought on uh, and trained and prepared the young lawyers that they hired to be effective practitioners. And so I did that for a long time, got involved in the other areas you kindly mentioned about uh, advancing women and, and mentoring and sponsorship and leadership development. But as many of my clients got older, they started asking me questions about what happens next. You know, I'm the managing partner of this firm, and I've been doing that for a while, um, but I'm either going to be termed out or I'm getting tired of it. But if I stop, what am I going to do? Can I rebuild my practice when I'm 55 or 60? And so anyway, there were a lot of questions. They, I brought a group together for lunch just to say, you're all asking the same questions. Maybe you should talk to each other. They decided they wanted to continue to have conversations, but they wanted somebody to help facilitate. So I wound up doing that and had to do some research 
in order to do that effectively. And the more I did that, the more I looked into it, I realized all of the planning for the future uh, for people in their 50s and 60s was about financial planning. And yet, I think what actually inspired me to take this further was one of the members of the group uh, told me that she spoke to her father when he had been retired about 10 years. He retired at 65. He had been a serial entrepreneur, made a lot of money. And he told her he was very successful. He did everything he set out to do financially. And so he could be secure and his family would be secure when he retired. And he spent the last 10 years bored out of his mind. That is a problem when people retire. One thing that I've heard frequently, but let's kind of back this one up a little bit. Where or when should you start with your retirement planning? Uh, Today. I start today, uh, whatever your age, because the workforce and the way we work is going to be changing. And if you're young and even, you know, fairly early in your career, you may be what we call I don't know. I I like to think of it in more like sabbaticals or taking time out to reassess and shift. But it's going to be unusual for people to be working through in the same career for 40 years or 50 years. And if longevity is allowing us to live older, healthier lives, not just old and feeble, but actually healthy and productive, not many people will be able to afford to retire uh, in their 60s. And most of them won't want to. Uh, So if you're going to have a long career, it may take multiple forms and you may be moving in and out. And so financially, you have to be thinking differently, but you also have to be thinking about how you're going to live your life and the different stages that you might go through because of where you are in your life. Well, let's take a look at at those various stages. I mean, I Personally, I'm 65, still enjoying practicing and want to continue to practice, but just not at the same pace. I, I used to practice at 80 hours a week. And as you, I'm, I'm a trial attorney. Should I have started in my 20s? And if I did start in my 20s, what was I supposed to do? And, and, or 30s, 40s, 50s? What, bra- what age brackets require what kinds of planning? Well, I think certainly financially you want to start early. Uh, In terms of your career and career planning, you might think about the things that that you enjoy doing and that give you meaning. But also, I think we hear a lot about flexibility today. Uh, We hear about it mostly. We used to hear about it from women. Women were were kind of, you know, we sort of foreshadowed what we're going to be seeing more of, which is taking time out to have kids. Maybe it's a few months, maybe it's a few years. But then coming back into the workforce and starting either in a new career, in the same career, taking a different job, kind of job, and moving forward. So, you know, you want to be doing, I mean, if we're talking specifically about retirement, then, of course, we're talking about people in their 50s and 60s and 70s um, starting to plan for whatever the next stage is. It doesn't mean retire the way many people uh, visualize it, which is either you know, 24-7 leisure or uh, being totally bored and sitting on the porch waiting to die. You know, there are a lot of negative uh, stereotypes and social mental models about retirement. But I think we have to just think about careers as more cyclical, more flexible, 
when you have a family, you're going to be thinking more long-term and thinking differently than when you're single. Um, It may happen at different points in your life and you may have different demands on you. So at the same time you're developing your current career, you don't want to lose sight of the fact that it may not be forever. And if it's something you see as a calling, something you truly believe in and see as giving your life meaning um, long-term, that's a different story because many people do and they will just continue. But at the same time, I think we recognize, especially over the last couple of years, that life throws a lot of surprises our way. Not all of them are the ones we would like. And so having to be adaptable is becoming incredibly important. We've, it always has been, but I think we're more aware of how important that is. So the more you can be thinking ahead, the more you can, at, when I say planning, by the way, I'm not talking about a strict plan. I'm talking more about a framework, a way of, of thinking, a way of looking for opportunities, being open to opportunities, um, pursuing them. Uh, in a way that uh, a lot of times you don't necessarily do when you're so mired in your current work and the demands. And in law, of course, those demands are never ending. Right. So I'm getting the sense from what you're saying that perhaps the best retirement planning is to plan or to think about what it is you want to do, where your passion lies, as opposed to a dollar amount to retire at a specific age. Is that right? Well, you need both. I mean, you know, the the dollar amount, I think if you're careful and you start doing financial, you know, setting aside some money, um, that's all very important uh, at the youngest ages. But even as you get older, I just was listening to somebody talking about the economics of retirement. And especially if you're thinking as for young people, they might as well be thinking in terms of 100-year lives, uh, if they're going to be having careers that maybe 50 or 60 years long, then uh, you do have to be thinking about the things that are meaningful to you. But a lot of that will change over time. And when you're younger, you're going to be making more long-term decisions or planning more long-term. As you get older, uh, that time frame is compressed. And so in order to maximize your options, you want to be open uh, from the very beginning. And then as you approach the age where you do want to cut back and gradually stop while working in the career you're in um, to start thinking about how to design, uh, the if you want to keep working, how to design work that would make sense for you, uh, whether it's paying work, volunteer work, uh, doing pro bono work, continuing as a lawyer, doing something else, uh, because there will be many options available there are more options available now than most people realize because they don't need to, they don't normally think about it. Why would they? Uh, There's, you know, just trying to get through day by day by day. Right. Well, at this time, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, These immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. 
Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm joined by Ida Abbott. She is the founder of Ida Abbott Consulting, and we're talking retirement. Well, Ida, let's talk a little bit about, I don't want to call it forced retirement, but what happens in the situation where you know, you're suddenly disabled and you can't work, as opposed to what happens in the situation where you know, you're 65, your law firm comes knocking at your door and says, you know, it's, it's been great having you. It's really time for you to, to uh, head out to the pasture. Those are two very different scenarios, but how would you handle those? Well, both of them are putting you in a position that isn't in your control. And so what you want to do, because especially for most of us who are in law, we want to maintain as much control as we can. And uh, if you're disabled, you're dealing with a lot of very complicated issues other than work. And there may be opportunities for you. There may be choices uh, where you can continue to do some kind of work, depending, of course, on the nature of the disability. Uh, One of the keys in that, and basically every situation, is having a network, a social network around you of people you can rely on and trust to help you get through it. I think with any any significant life transition, that becomes one of the most essential elements uh, to help you uh, deal with with the situation and uh, the outcomes, to, you know, to, to help you uh, direct as many of the outcomes as possible so that they're as favorable as possible. If the firm is coming to you, then it becomes, it may become a matter of negotiation. Uh, a lot of times those conversations should happen much earlier than they do and not as not waiting until somebody comes to you and says it's time to go. There ought to be ongoing conversations about what are your future plans. And if your client base is drying up or your major client retired and the new one, the new general counsel wants to uh, hire a buddy of theirs, uh, no matter, you know, the fact that you may be the world's leading expert in this field, uh, it doesn't matter when somebody chooses their friend over you. So if these conversations happen earlier, then you can start within the firm building up ways to support partners when it is time to leave, whether it's their choice or or the firm's choice. But you don't want to wait. And neither of you, neither you nor the firm, should wait until the last minute uh, to have that kind of conversation. Do you find that attorneys are sometimes afraid to retire? So you mentioned that, you know, it's the the sitting on the porch and watching the grass grow kind of attitude. And I think that some attorneys are, but what, what kind of reaction, since you're in the business, what 
How do attorneys react to that? Well, it's, you know, retirement transitions um, are, are really very difficult. And a lot of people have an enormous degree of difficulty adjusting. Lawyers, for many lawyers, work is their life purpose. It gives their life purpose, even if it's not their calling. It gives their life structure. It gives them a community. It gives keeps them intellectually engaged. And for many people, if they view retirement as the end of all of that, they see it only in terms of loss. What I see is then when people have something to retire to, when they are excited because they finally are going to have the time to do to pick up the guitar again, or, uh, you know, for most people, it's traveling because they've delayed it. But whether it's traveling or just being with the grandchildren or starting the business that you always wished you had started, uh, whatever it is when you're looking forward to it, you tend to be much more enthusiastic about going, much less fearful of what's ahead. When you see it as a time of loss because suddenly you don't have the purpose. You don't have clients who depend on you. You don't have partners who look up to you or or a whole community within your firm who looks up to you, a profession that gives you a sense of collegiality and and support. Uh, Even the daily routine that you have will be gone. All of that is associated with loss. And when you look at that, of course, it's scary. You've never, you're walking into something without knowing what's ahead. And most lawyers don't, you know, I mean, we all learn, you, you do trial work, you don't ask a question where you don't, on cross-exam when you don't know the answer. You also don't want to step off the ledge from a fabulous career uh, that's giving you prestige and status and wealth and everything else uh, into the abyss. So, you know, when that fear is there, it's understandable. It's preventable, but it's also understandable. How do you go about preventing it? Planning? Yeah. I mean, you start thinking about the things that you could do and see it, see retirement as a chance to basically call the shots. You get to do what you want to do and you don't have to do the things you don't want to do. You can say no without feeling guilty. Uh, you can uh, find all kinds of new ways to fill up your t- your days. You can be as busy as you want. You can be as lazy as you want, although I don't encourage that because that can lead to a lot of negative consequences. Uh, but you can control the pace of your day, the activities of your time that you spend your time on and really find a great deal of pleasure and fulfillment and purpose. But you have to be thinking in that way. You have to be looking for those things. You know, that's that's really where the challenge is, to get people to even talk about it. Because so many lawyers, you know, don't talk to me about this. I'm going to die at my desk. And um, when you have that kind of attitude, uh, it's very hard because you're putting up barriers that aren't going to be very helpful. Uh, because at some point you may very well die at your desk, but that means there may be a lot of a lot of things unfulfilled, a lot of things you leave behind that would have given you a lot of pleasure. You know, we've talked about the differences in the age brackets, but we haven't talked about the differences in women and men. 
and the challenges that they each face as they near retirement, especially now that we have uh, way more female attorneys in the practice than when I first started. Oh, sure. And I find it really very interesting uh, because this is, in my thinking and in my experience uh, in dealing with clients and, and women that I've talked to who are, you know, thinking about retirement, this is one of the first times women find themselves with an advantage. Uh, women have had to redefine themselves throughout their careers. They've had to adapt their sense of authenticity, not necessarily by changing who they are, but in the way they the way they interact with other people and in the world so that they can be accepted as, as professionals and equals and leaders. Uh, so women have had some experience in dealing with uh, identity issues and changes in circumstances where you're, you don't have a lot of support and you're having to kind of go out there and figure it out. This is, for some men, the first time they've ever had to deal with issues of who am I? And if I'm not doing this, then who am I in, you know, if I'm not working? Who am I if I'm not a partner in a law firm or if I'm not the general counsel of this organization? And so in that sense, women have an advantage. But at the same time, women face far more ageism because so much of our social thinking and, and stereotypes around women focus on uh, physical attractiveness and youth. Um, when men can be older and gray-haired and you know not have the, the negative kind of penalties socially that women do. Women are are not seen uh, in society as as leaders. It's easier for them to become invisible or to feel themselves becoming invisible. But at the same time, you know, as I say, women have had to deal with that before. So they've dealt with being, with having to prove themselves to people who see them in a, in a way that, that is incompatible with who they really are. Men, when they see themselves as retired, feel only the negative aspects of that. And so many men have difficulty with it. Ida, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. Alps is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is, and that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S insurance.com. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm joined by Ida Abbott, who's been giving us some tips on retirement. Ida, what advice do you have for attorneys out there who are approaching retirement age at the 
60 to 65 range or right in there? Is there a particular mantra that you live by? Uh, Yeah, stay curious. Uh, Revive your curiosity if you've lost it. Because, you know, part of the danger of being successful as a lawyer is thinking you have answers and being called on to be the expert. But retirement is something that's going to be new. It's a new status. It's a new way of living, of spending your time. And so instead of shutting down or, or feeling that it's a loss and looking backward at what you're giving up, be curious about what the possibilities are because the world is filled with all sorts of interests, all sorts of things that you can explore and move into and try out. I also encourage people to try things because, you know, you can sit and study and come up with lots and lots of lists. And I have a tip for that as well. But you Don't want let to- in. Let us in I, on I, that I secret. But you want to try things as well. The tip was given to me by uh, a close friend who was actually uh, my doctor and also a close friend. And he retired at 62. I said, how, how have you seemed to be so happy and so busy and you're thriving? What was the secret? And he said when he was young, he started writing down. And in those days, it was a little pocket notebook, you know. Uh, he started writing down everything that sounded interesting. If he met a patient who did something that he hadn't thought about, or if he was at a party and he talked to somebody and and discovered that they uh, did a, did something or were studying something, or he'd read an article, and uh, that was something that interested him, he just kept a record of it. And he said, when I retired, I didn't have to sit down and think about what I was going to do. I had pages of things that had interested me. And I looked for patterns and I looked for the things that interested me over and over again. And if they still interested me, then I went ahead and put them on my to-do list. Did he ever publish it? No, no, no. It was oh. just personal. But <laughs> I used, I mean, I encourage it. I've got it in my book and I do it in all my work. That's the first tip I give people um, is start keeping a record now because it does make it so much easier to sit down one day and say, boy, what are the things that might be interesting to me if I, if I had all the time to do it? Uh, and, you know, how could I make it happen? Sometimes it seems outrageous. You know, I'd like to go on an archaeological dig in the Middle East someplace, but I also need to do this and I want to help people and I want to do this. You know, you can find ways of combining interests to make them happen, even if when you first write them down, they seem so outlandish or so impossible. Uh, But eventually you start looking at these interests and you can find ways to make them happen. Certainly you can. You can volunteer and, you know, get started in that perspective. You can volunteer and teach. At the same time, you can live abroad and study abroad. You can, at the same time, you can, uh, one of my clients wanted to learn French. She was a litigator and she wanted, uh, she was fascinated by textiles. And we came up with the idea of finding a town in France that specialized, had a historically vibrant textile uh, manufacturing community, and she could mediate from anywhere in the world. So, you know, you can find ways to pull things together, but it requires a little, you know, a little creativity, 
a different way of thinking and getting rid of the things, the barriers in your mind that tell you, you can't do that. Okay, well, we followed your advice so far and we're sitting in our office and now we have to go talk to the boss about retiring. We've made up our mind what we're going to do. We've saved enough money. We're ready mentally. How do you go talk to your boss and say, look, you know, I'm done. I'm ready to go. How do I transition my clients to you? And how do you pay me for so on and so forth? What, how do those conversations go? Well, you have to have a plan in your own mind. And the better you prepared when you walk in for that conversation, the more in control you can be of the conversation. Now, you know, for a lot of lawyers who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, they're already the boss. They're one of the bosses. Uh, sometimes they work for somebody else and they have to go in. But even if you're a partner in a huge firm, you still have to have the conversation. So half the time people give up without even realizing they could negotiate uh, the kinds of, of terms that would be, be beneficial to them, but would also benefit the firm. I mean, you've got interests here. There are really three interests because the client's interests are involved as well. So if you have a plan and you want to talk to the firm or the boss about it, you need to be doing this with enough time built into the plan to do the transitions that are going to be necessary if there are personal relationships with clients, as most lawyers have, you can't just walk into the client and say, this is your new lawyer. The client has to have enough trust, not only in your suggestion, but in the new person. And so there has to be time for that relationship to build. And the more complicated the relationship is, the more work that's involved, the larger the client, the levels of complexity also increase. And so you need to have plenty of time built in, as well as a plan that outlines what you expect to do, how you're going to introduce your designated successors to your clients, and before that, how you're going to prepare these uh, people you see as successors and whether the firm has any anything to say about that. Uh, but it has to become a discussion. And it's always better for you to walk in with a plan and initiate those conversations than it is to wait until the example you gave a little while ago of somebody coming in and saying, okay, you're out of here. Uh, so, you know, having that prepared, you need to look at whatever your partnership or your employment agreement is and do all of that background research as well so that you know, uh, you know, what's feasible and what isn't. And even if it doesn't sound like it's feasible, if especially because it hasn't been done before, that shouldn't stop you. If it's a good idea, then do it. I just uh, uh, spoke with a uh, person, a lawyer who decided probably in his early 50s, he had been, he was finished practicing the way he had been. And he took a sabbatical and came back and offered to become the firm's general counsel and to do all of the compliance work and other kinds of work that lawyers were required to do but hated to do. And so he offered to take on uh, more of an administrative role and an oversight role. It had never been done before, and the firm said, sure. You know, but other people would think about that and say, well, it hasn't been done, it can't be done. So it's a, it's a matter really of thinking whether you want to stay in the firm or you want to leave, you know, what's going to be possible? How can you make it possible? 
and then be ready to negotiate because there's some things that may not be agreeable to everybody. Let's talk briefly about small law firms and solo practitioners about how they transition themselves into retirement. Well, you know, they don't have as many people to choose from or as many people to cover for them. They have to be thinking about uh, what they're going to do with their practice. And that may uh, mean, you know, very few people want to just close up the practice and leave. Uh, Most want to, especially if they have clients who are going to continue to need services, um, they're going to want something to continue. So you have to start looking at the value of your firm, uh, probably talking to somebody because most people don't really understand the value of their firm and how to maximize that to put it in the best uh, position to then transfer it, whether you transfer it internally to partners or associates or other people, whether you're going to uh, sell the fir- the practice to another firm or merge with them, be, be absorbed by them or acquired. You need to start looking at the options. And there are, you know, there aren't that many resources out there, but there are a growing number of them, uh, people who do that kind of, of work uh, to help people with smaller firms and uh, solo practices, uh, and then making sure that everything is in order. Uh, because, you know, for most people, most some lawyers don't care but I th- what happens when they leave. But I think those that's really a very small minority. I think most lawyers care both because of their clients and because of their legacy. They, they have built up a huge amount of trust and, and status over their career. And they don't want to just leave that behind. They'd like to make sure that it, it, it's positive, it's something that they can be proud of, and that other people will remember them by, uh, will remember them in a positive way. Sound advice. Well, Aya, it looks like we've reached the end of our program, so it's appropriate now to ask you to give your final thoughts and your contact information. Well, my final thoughts, I guess, would go back to, to the tips that I mentioned earlier uh, to start maintaining a list, you know, start building that list, talking to other people and building up uh, some support, people who have already retired, people who are also maybe thinking about it, uh, definitely talking to a spouse if you have a spouse or a partner, because they're going to hopefully go through it with you. And uh, and so getting them involved is important. And as I say, uh, to be curious, to to Keep that, build that curiosity muscle uh, so that you look at everything uh, out there to see what are the possibilities for me and and how do I uh, find even more Um, and then to try things out. So I guess that's plenty to work with. And uh, they, people can reach me at Ida at IdaAbbott.com. That's A-B-B-O-T-T, I-D-A-A-B-B-O-T-T.com. Wonderful. Well, as we wrap up, I'd like to thank our guest, Ida Abbott, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be be here with you. Well, here's a few of my thoughts about today's topic. I've always encouraged younger attorneys to save as much out of their paycheck as they can, at least 10%. Now I've seen estimates upwards of 25%, and perhaps even more, as Ida points out, that if you're only going to work 30 or 40 years and then want to retire for 30 or 40 years, you're going to need a lot of money or a different lifestyle. So planning seems to be Ida's mantra, and I think it's a good one. Uh, Plan young, plan old, plan for what you want to do. 
there's some wonderful books out there. I would strongly encourage you to look at What Color Is Your Parachute? It's a fantastic book for finding out what your passions are and determining where your life might want to go. Well, with that recommendation, that's it for Craig's little rant on this topic. And if you really are listening, it's not really a rant, but there you are. Let me know what you think about it. Send me an email. And if you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com where you can sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time for another great legal topic. Remember, when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.